If you have visited vendors, gone to meetings and thought, ah, oh, what are the questions that I need to ask this person to make sure they're legit and they're going to do the job properly? If only I had the Bride Chiller Field Guide, which contains all of the big, important questions you should ask before you sign on the dotted line with any vendor. This is what makes the Bride Chiller Field Guide very different from anything else on the market, which is why I wrote it. To pick up your copy of the Bride Chiller Field Guide and the Companion Bride Chiller Survival Guide, visit bridechillerstore.com and I thank you for supporting the Bride Chiller Podcast. You're listening to the Bride Chiller Podcast, helping bride chillers and groom chillers plan their wedding minus the bullshit, one podcast at a time. Another episode of the Bride Chiller Podcast. This is Alicia. I am Alicia, the founder and host of Bride Chiller, and I am here to help you plan your wedding without losing your shit. There it is. I have produced a bunch of episodes of this here podcast, so if you are new to the show, then cherry pick, go back to the beginning, whatever you do, check out the back catalogue because there is a wealth of wedding planning knowledge and me swearing and doing stupid voices, uh, really recorded over the last four years. There's a lot of catching up to do, but don't feel pressured. I don't want you to feel overwhelmed when it comes to listening to the back catalogue. I just want you to ease into it and enjoy yourself. Everything I do with the Bride Chiller brand, whether that's producing podcasts, blogs, publishing books and coming up with products like our new Oh Shit kit, which is a wedding day emergency kit, you should definitely check it out. Don't go spending all day putting together your own kit, just buy mine. Everything we do at Bride Chiller, there's a little plug there, cheeky plug, unintentional cheeky plug. Again, everything we do at Bride Chiller is all about trying to ease the stress. And one thing that I have learned over the last, I don't know how many episodes I've made now, into the 350s, I should know what episode this is, this is 357, I've had so many experts on the show sharing their insights and empowering you with information and knowledge. Because really, when it comes down to it, people get stressed for a number of reasons. But a big one is feeling that they don't know where to start. They don't know what to do. Because who the fuck has ever planned a huge event like this? Very few of us enter wedding planning and go, oh, yeah, I totally know what to do. Yeah, it's all fine. Yeah, that's perfectly normal. And then you've got all the opinions. I'm sure you've experienced anyone and everyone that is anyone giving you some sort of advice that may be helpful, but may be a fucking waste of time. And you've got to stand there and go, great, thanks. Thanks so much. I'm going to park that one up my ass because I don't give a shit what you say and you don't know what you're talking about anyway. So my whole goal with this show is to find people that know what they're doing and hopefully they can give you information to help you out. My experience and knowledge with the area of wedding planners and coordinators has really evolved over the years. And I have changed my tune and I suppose the industry has changed as well. I was never anti-wedding planners and coordinators. I think they're goddesses and gods of dealing with a lot of stuff that we don't want to deal with. And they're clever and they're like ninjas. But I think when I started the podcast four years ago, the idea of hiring a wedding planner or coordinator was quite expensive. There weren't as many people out there. And our perception or my perception personally was that it was probably going to cost a lot of money and that also I would lose a bit of control when it comes to hiring someone that they were just going to take over. Now, I know that not to be true. And I mean, 
actually, side note, if you have no interest in wedding planning and you want someone to do it all for you and you just want them to come and present you with ideas, yeah, you can hire someone to do that. However, the game has changed and there are a lot more people out there who are planning and coordinating weddings at a really affordable price and also have different structures of their business that means that if you're really keen on planning but you just don't like all the logistics or putting the timeline together or having to do all the calls, you can find someone to do that for you. There are so many different options out there. So today's episode is a a classic encore episode of the Bride Chiller podcast featuring Kylie Carlson, who runs the International Academy of Wedding and Event Planning. And she is really knowledgeable about the processes of training people to become wedding planners. Now, this is a contentious issue. Some people go, no, you shouldn't have to go and do formal training. You should be able to learn on the job, which great. Absolutely. There are so many different industries where that is absolutely acceptable and wedding planning is one of them. But what's great about what Kylie does, and you'll hear in the interview, she talks about training planners and what you should be looking for as a consumer, as someone who might be looking to hire a wedding planner or coordinator, what you should be looking for and asking them when you go to hire. And also just really going through the basics of what they can, may, and will do for you if you require. And that to me is where you should start with. This is a really good episode if you've just gotten engaged or if you're really further down the track and you're like, actually, I do need some help, but I don't know if I should hire a planner or coordinator or how much I should be paying for them or what the fuck they're going to be doing to help me out. So I think this is a really valuable episode to jump into. And Kylie's just an excellent broad. She's just a good interview. She's fun to listen to. She's been there, done that. And gee whiz, she's got some stories, some good stories and some mildly hellish stories about planning and all the work that they do. I bow down to you. Here it is. Kylie, (laughs) welcome to the Bridechiller Podcast. Thank you so much. What an absolutely cracking intro. Well, thank you very much. I do pride myself on my professionalism, as everyone would be sniggering at home going, no, she doesn't. She barely ever gets through an introduction. But, you know, it's it's really a thrill to have you on board. And I can't wait to hear, uh, well, where we're going we're gonna to talk a lot about wedding planning, but also you teaching the wedding planners, which is a really big deal because there are lots of people in the industry that don't really know what they're doing. Ooh. Oh, yes. Now, isn't that a topic and a half? <laughs> So, Kylie, great to have you here. Share with my listeners a little bit about how how you came to be in the wedding industry. I've literally never really been in any other industry other than the events industry. It didn't start off as weddings. Um, It started off purely as events. I got into events literally from being a silver service waitress. Um, Actually, it was before that. I was washing big, huge, mahoosive pots in the back of the restaurant (laughs) before I got to be a silver service waitress. Pots so big you could literally sit in them. (laughs) And and that didn't even put me off. I loved everything about hospitality and literally just fumbled my way because believe it or not, I'm actually a trained musician. I went to the Royal College of Music. So my parents were devastated when I said I wasn't doing music after 12 years of study. Um, And I was going to become an event planner. You can imagine their faces, can't you? It was a picture. What was your instrument? Piano and violin, believe it or not. And I majored in both. So, yeah, hugely proper, very classical, um, nothing like what I'm doing now. Um, But I just loved this industry and 
similar to a lot of other people. You know, if my parents had dinner parties, I was the one setting the table. I had every piece <laughs> of crockery out, every single um, knife, fork, napkin, you name it. My parents used to have a heart attack every time I did it. But I think that's where it all stemmed from. Um, and I was lucky. I got a really good break. I, I say lucky. I, um, I got a job as an event planner and I didn't have any experience. But the company I worked for went bust. But that was a great thing for me because I basically um, bought the assets of the company. And that's really where my journey began. So it was right place, right time. Um, I used my smarts and basically took the opportunity. And I've never looked back. Um, but obviously, I don't plan weddings anymore. I used to for a long time. Um, I've since then quit planning weddings, and I teach other people how to do it. So there's the short potted history version. Well, I love it, and I love that you. I, I love the evolution of your job, and I love the silver service waitress. Yeah. Can't even say it. It's like a good vocal warm up. Silver service waitress. It is that. To, yeah, it is, and, and that to me is you know you know when you go to a really good restaurant and someone said this to me. I mean, I've been to a few good restaurants. I wish I could say I went go to them all the time, but yeah. uh, <laughs> but someone said to me, you know, it's a really good restaurant when you don't even notice someone filling up your glass of water. They don't even you know uh, they're not getting in. Yeah, that's yeah. so and true. I, and, you know, it's not often, I think, you know, when you witness that or you don't witness it very meta uh, that you go, oh, yeah, I'm in a classy joint. But then when you feel like you're in amongst sort of bad quote-unquote service, gee whiz, you, you feel it. You really do. And the interesting thing for me was was I was 15. You know, I wasn't, oh. I had no experience at all. And this restaurant was high class. It was, we lived mm. in a small um, village Leon Sea by the seaside. God, I can't say that either. Um, and it was so unusual to have a restaurant like that, but it was a one sitting restaurant. So I learned from a really young age. So people arrived at 7.30 and it was a seven course meal. And you had to wow. take the entrees around, you had to take the main course around and you had to explain what it was, how it was cooked, what was in it. And if you had the head chef behind you, you'd literally be shitting yourself if you got it wrong. <laughs> So it was, a, it was a really good entry into the world of events. And if that doesn't put you off, nothing will, because it was high pressurized. It was, you know, difficult. It was learn on your feet and it was go, 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 go. But I thrived on it. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. I couldn't agree more. I've done it. Look, a very amateur waitress. I will nothing of your standards. I did waitressing and I've worked with some scary chefs in the past. And <laughs> gee whiz, they can be, I mean, I, they've got a lot of pride in their work. I totally get it. But, you know. Gee whiz, they can really go off. And, uh, you know. You're not kidding. My very last um, job where I worked properly within the industry before I like to say retired and started teaching um, was on Hayman Island. And you probably know Hayman. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I was the event operations director there. And we essentially were the poor part of Hayman because corporate events wasn't their first and foremost. Um, selling to consumers was their first and foremost. So... Mm. I had to put on events that were huge events with gardeners and engineers waiting the tables. And I had quite often maybe 30 minutes to train them and pass them off as five star. So trust wow. me when I say I have had my challenges, Heyman probably being the most challenging. But it was fab. I loved every minute of it. Very difficult. I bet. And it's a very nice place to hang around. Heyman is one of those places. Put it on your honeymoon list, people, if you are wanting to head to Australia. Heyman, mm, pretty good. Oh, definitely. Put it on your bucket list. It's a good place to go. <laughs> 
Absolutely. Now, look, there's so much I want to talk to you about, and I'm a very big advocate of wedding planners and coordinators. I bang on and on about how invaluable they are to people's planning, especially if they feel at all stressed or a little bit overwhelmed at the idea of planning an event. Because as I think most of us have felt uh, that haven't been in your shoes, Kylie, that you know the, the biggest event I planned uh, prior to our wedding was like a dinner for six in our lounge room. Yeah. So it's pretty crazy when you first start and you go, oh my gosh, what the, what the fuck? I don't understand. What do I do? What, I don't understand which direction to take it. It can be quite overwhelming. So I'm, I'm delighted that you are such a big part of the industry and obviously have so much experience in guiding the planners as well. But you must have seen a lot of changes over the years since you first started and, and oh, launched the business. Oh, God, yeah. I mean, I think one of the biggest changes is the advent of social media. And, of course, what that's done is it's given people access to things they didn't have access to before. So from a bridal couple's point of view, they are overwhelmed with choice because they didn't have, as I say, the access to everything that they've got now. I mean, you hop on Pinterest and you can get images of these gorgeous weddings by people like Karen Tran, Preston Bailey, David Chutera, Colin Cowie, etc., And, you know, you're never going to be able to reproduce that over here because we don't have a lot of the items that they have over there to be able to do that. So it can be frustrating. um, It can be overwhelming. And I think that's the biggest thing I've seen as a change in the industry is the demands now to have a wedding that is just so spectacular are so much bigger than what they ever were before. It's just got bigger and bigger and bigger. And, of course, that choice makes it really hard for people. And I know when I talk to... Um, our students that have graduated and are running their own businesses, for them, Pinterest is as much of a curse as it is um, a pleasure, if you will, because what it does is it allows people just to pin like crazy, but it gives a very diluted version of what they think they want. There is no common thread throughout it. It's It gets very confusing and you've got lots of different themes all interweaving themselves into one, which can be difficult from the stylist or planner's point of view. Yeah, I think the overwhelm, the choice, and I, I've been writing an article, I don't know where it's going to end up, but I've titled it maybe clickbaity, saying in defence <laughs> yeah. of the bridezilla, because I actually think that the bridezilla, and I've had a couple of guests um, on recently that have we've been sharing this sort of this thought process, and I'm really trying to put it into words that make sense but this idea that we live in this cyclic sort of this this cyclic motion of we see all this stuff on pinterest we think that's what we should be doing a lot of it's unattainable because it's styled shoots or as you said it's it's done by uber wedding professionals that have unlimited budgets and access to amazing stylists and you know realistically to do something that they have done in a venue and you've got six hours to set up and you've got 500 bucks in your back pocket to make it happen, probably not going to happen. But then we've got this pressure to feel like we have to make it all look like something that comes out of style me pretty. And yet we're not given the coping mechanisms of dealing with the pressures and stress of wedding planning. And then we're labeled, if we don't cope, we're labeled a bridezilla and that's it. You know, it's like any woman that has an emotion or feels a certain way and, and emits some sort of feelings suddenly has to have a label on it. We can't just be stressed. We have to be a psycho reptile, crazy bitch. You know, it's, it's really, it's just really, I've been thinking so much about it this week or writing and I just think it's really hard to find a balance. I'm not, I'm not trying to 
apologise for people being shits because people can be total oh, assholes. But that but happens in everything, yeah, doesn't it, at the end of the exactly. day. And I think, I think people have taken this term of bridezilla and used it because they think it's something that is not controversial exactly, but something mm. that will allow them to have a voice. Um, and allow them to talk about things in a different way. But it, it doesn't really, because really the amount of brides that are like that are few and far between. When I think of all the brides that I've dealt with over the years, I can probably count, oh, not even on one hand, it wouldn't be that many um, of the mm. difficult brides. And for me, I always had a way of dealing with it. Um, you get a sixth sense about somebody pretty much from the minute you meet them. Um, and I was always too scared to say no. I hated saying no to people. So... I used to triple my price and once it caught me out, there was a particular bride who I didn't want to work with um, but didn't have the guts to say no, mainly because she scared the crap out of me, to be quite honest. She was really quite a scary <laughs> lady. Um, and I did my usual and tripled my price and she said yes. So big mistake. I should... <laughs> From then on in, I actually learned to say no. But back to your um, original point, it's actually now not so much the brides that are calling, causing the problems. A lot of the time, it's the grooms. There's the new term now of groomzilla, and that's because they're mm. having a lot more input into the wedding now, which is, I think is a good thing because it should be about yeah. the both. Um, it should be about the couple, not just about the one person. But I do think it's a very overused term um, and one that's a little bit unfair. There's always going to be those moments, and it's not just for the brides, but from the planner's perspective too. There's always that oh shit moment in a wedding where mm. you think, mm. oh my God, oh my God, what am I going to do? But it's just we're trained to deal with it and they're not. That's the simple it, matter of it. I like that you just brought up the grooms because I feel like there's this weird, again, this sort of cliche that guys are only interested in the booze and the music and when I'm inviting his guy pals. And I sort of feel like there's this no, new movement now of, of get, yeah, getting people involved and going, well, it's in, whether it, I'm, I'm talking about same sex couples as well. I mean, there's there's always this sort of cliche that one partner's more interested in it the other. And I think, well, it, it takes two to tango and you've got to find ways to make you both excited because what's the point if you're not both getting into it? Absolutely. And I think, you know, that whole cliche of the guy's only interested in, you know, the booze and his mates and his stag do, that, I mean, if you see those um, TV shows like Don't Tell the Bride, that sort of mm. thing almost promotes that. It almost promotes the, the laddish guy getting it all wrong. Um, but that really isn't the case anymore. Again, over the last three or four years, there's just been this surge of guys wanting to get much more involved in what they're doing. And in fact, we as educators in the industry now are actually, as we update our course material, we're stopping saying things like, have you spoken to your bride? We're changing it to have you spoken to your couple about, mm. um, mainly because we get pulled up on it all the time. Uh, we get pulled up on it by the guys themselves. We get pulled up on it by the couple. We get pulled up on it by the family. Um, so it really is starting to be something that's quite outdated to just tailor your marketing, tailor your message, tailor you know anything that you do to just the bride. It should be to the couple. And that is becoming more and more prevalent um, as we move forward. Well now asking you this because I get asked, I, I do Q&A episodes and I've got some really great listeners who are very keen to hear my opinion and the community, Bride Chiller community's opinion. But one of the most popular questions I get asked is how do I get my groom more involved? So what do you say to your planners and, and your past clients when you're asked that question? Well, it's about the questions that you ask to your couple. 
So, and it starts mm. right from the point of when you sit down with them for that first consultation. Um, it's about how you put those questions together. So something we teach at the academy is about putting those questions together for the first time. So you're not just finding out about what colours you like, what food you like, what drink you like. You're talking to them about how they met, what they like doing as a couple, what do they do in their spare time, uh, what things interest them, where do they go on holiday, you know, where did they meet, where, you know, where are the places that they really enjoy spending time at. And it's about really getting those questions and making those questions about the both of them. Because if you do that from the outset, all of a sudden, that guy's involved just as much as the bride is. The two mm. of them are talking about what's important to them, not what's important to her or him, but what's important to them. And it really does come down to clever questioning right at the beginning, because then once you've got the answers to those questions, everything that you tailor from then on in is going to be to the both of them, because you know that actually he and her enjoy doing, I don't know, abseiling down mountains, for example. So you're going to make sure that whatever, you know, whatever it is that they enjoy doing in their spare time will have a reflection within the wedding itself. But you know that when you're talking about that or trying to bring that into the wedding, that it's going to have the attention of both of them. Um, mm. So it, it's really simple, really easy things like that that you do in order to bring them in. And, I mean, of course, there's going to be times when the groom's not going to be involved. When you're talking dresses, the groom's not going to want to be involved, but he doesn't have to be involved in every single thing. But more often than not, when you're talking about transport and that type of thing, they are going to be more interested. So you just you make sure that you bring them into the conversation as much as you possibly can without being ridiculous about it. Because, again, the easiest way to turn them off is talking about lots of pink, fluffy, dazzly, you know, bejeweled, sparkling, anything flowers, that type of thing. So it's about, again, it's about how you word it to them. Now, I, I've heard this story a few times um, in, told in different ways, but the biggest thing is colours. You know, a guy can say to you, I don't want any pink in my wedding. But if you turned around and said to him, what if we had a colour that was similar to flamingo? Yeah, It's all about <laughs> how you term it. If you say it's pink, he's not going to want it. But if you try and use a different word for pink, now if you're going to use Barbie, clearly it's not going to work. But, you know, there's <laughs> other ways of describing certain colours. If there's a colour he doesn't like, don't call it that. Call it something else. You know, if he doesn't Trick like green. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> call it apple. You know, it's, there's so many different ways that you can do it. But it all comes down to the questioning at the beginning. If you ask the right questions, you're going to know how to tailor what you do so that it A, appeals to both of them and B, makes him feel him or her feel as included so that they're included as a couple. Yeah, it's teamwork fundamentally, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Good this Good is start no from different to anything else that they might be doing. It's just that it's planning an event rather than planning a holiday. I'm sure if they sat down to plan a holiday, they'd do it together. They wouldn't do it separately. And this is no different. So it's, it's about getting them in the right mindset. Kylie, she is, you are the owner of the International Academy of Wedding and Event Planning. I want to say that the International Academy of Wedding and Event Planning. <laughs> oh it my sounds God, so you make it sound so important. <laughs> well, I love doing my important voice. Uh, you, you are very important. You are my guest today and there will be more from you and I after this break. We are talking wedding planning, event planning, and uh, Kylie, you have you have trained, I wouldn't imagine, 
hundreds if not thousands of people to be wedding planners. You are the oracle of wedding planning. Are there people that you meet that do, you know, your courses and get involved in what you do that you go, I don't think you should be doing this? Oh, God. Unfortunately, <laughs> yes. I mean, I always say we've got three types of students. Um, a large portion of our students fall in love with the wedding industry when they're planning their own wedding. You know, yes. It's, it's a given. Um, it's the one we've all heard a lot. Um, but the thing I do like is those girls, when they come to us, they are holding their hands up and saying, look, I realise planning my own wedding isn't the same as planning somebody else's wedding. I want to get trained. I take my hat off to them. That's fantastic. Mm. However, um, planning your own wedding and planning someone else's is very different. For a start, you're running a business. Um, and that side of it obviously didn't come in when you were planning your own wedding. So we've got that set. Then we've got what I call my serial course junkies. Um, and they're the ones that have probably taken a course in interior design. They may yes. have done a bit of landscape gardening. They could have mm. done how to publish my own book. You know, yeah. they'll have done loads of different courses. Oh, God, it's me. It's me, Kylie. Oh, there's loads like that. And I love it oh. because they're dedicated, they're motivated, they do it. They're on a mission and they get <laughs> through the course. And usually they produce good work too. But they're never going to become wedding planners. It's just something they've ticked off their list. Mm. Then you've got those ones that want a career change, and that's our third lot. And those ones are always really motivated. They're usually in a job that's boring them senseless. Um, mm. And believe it or not, they come from all walks of life. We've had uh, people that have been in the police force, the armed forces, architects, accountants, nurses, um, and then the more obvious ones like admin people and um, people just doing credit control and that type of thing, things that don't allow them to be creative. Great jobs, but not their mm -hmm. passion. Um, and those tend to be very focused, although there's a lot of self-doubt involved as well. So we usually have to work harder with that group because they need that confidence boost. They need us to constantly be telling them that they're doing okay and it's going well and they need a little bit more structure around them. So those tend to be our three or the core groups that we have. Um, and unfortunately, there's always going to be those ones where the work comes in and you look at it and you think, oh, Lord, that is horrendous. You know, the colours you've got going on here or that just the fact that their spelling and their way with words is really not very good or they just don't get it. It's that simple. But that just means we have to work harder at what we do to try and help them to become what it is they want to be. And then there's others that you just look at their work and go, oh, wow. Um, and for me, that's one of the things I really enjoy when we see it come full circle. Recently, mm. we had a student, well, not recently, she graduated about two years ago. She was a student of mine in the UK Academy who I'd met when I was speaking at a conference in Las Vegas. And that was quite something for me to be over in Vegas speaking at this conference. And one of my students comes up to me at the end of it and says, hi, I'm on your course in the UK. Um, and now this particular student has launched her own business. She's written two books that are selling on Amazon and she's now come full circle and she now tutors for us as well. So Fantastic. Yeah, those are the sort of success stories I love. And we get, we're getting more and more of those because in Australia we've been going for 10 years now. Um, that's our oldest campus. But, you know, there's just people from all over who fall in love with this industry and it kind of comes back to what we were talking about before. It comes back to... What draws them in is these pretty images on Pinterest and just the fact that they can 
pick things and pull them together and make something out of them and effectively do something creative and that's what they all yearn to do. Tell me, Kylie, one thing that I, I find interesting about uh, our industry is, you know, this feel you get for people quite quickly about whether you want to work with them or not. Yeah. And I always sort of say, you know, when you're picking wedding vendors, if you can, it's great to have a face-to-face. I know it's not always physically possible, especially if you're doing destination planning and all that sort of stuff, but especially when you're meeting co and and uh, wedding planners, you know, you want to gel with this person because if you don't, you're stuck in a bad situation with someone yeah. that uh, you're going to talk to a lot and see a lot of. What are the tips to, for brides and grooms and grooms and grooms and brides and brides who are interviewing or in the process of trying to find someone to make their dreams come true? What What's the... What are the key points to just picking this person? Okay, that's a really good question. The first thing I would say, and there is no science to this, by the way, but the first thing I would say is go with your gut. It's like Mm. anything. When you first meet someone, you get a feeling about them. And that's always my number one thing. I never go against my gut. When I go to meet vendors of any description, I get a feeling about them straight away. Now, if it's a good feeling, then yeah, there's a few things that you need to do. Um, Firstly, I always like to see them in action before I start working with them. And that's never, I mean, it's never really been a problem for me, but obviously I realise it's a little bit difficult for brides and grooms because they can't just rock up to somebody else's wedding. So (laughs) if that's not possible, um, then I always suggest talking to past clients Um, and not just past clients, but other people in the industry because that's usually where you're going to get your best result from, is speaking to other vendors who are in the same area. It's a really small industry, and we all know each other. So if you do get a good feeling about somebody, then it's always worthwhile asking about them within the industry, asking other vendors. You always want to make sure you've got testimonials. You want to talk to them about what they do within the wedding, as in, How do they take somebody's wedding? What are they going to do with it? What's the journey that they're going to take you on? Um, And you tend to find that if somebody can't answer a question like that, they don't really have a lot of experience. And you want them to tell you that story. You want them to take you on a journey of what they're going to do for your wedding, whether it's a photographer, whether it's a floral designer, whether it's the planner. A bit different with a venue because obviously with a venue, you've got something tangible there that you're walking around and you can see and touch and feel, etc. So I guess that's sort of some of my top tips, but a lot of it is going by your gut. Um, I can't honestly can't stress that enough because if you don't hit it off with somebody and you don't like them, you're not going to be able to work with them, whether that's as a professional or whether that's as a bride or groom. It is hard, I think, when you are judge. Like, I think that's exactly my advice is going, if you get weird feelings in any vendor situation, then back away because you don't want to be chasing people that you think are unreliable or someone that you th- thought had a weird tone or whatever. Yeah. Why, why get into business? And, and I keep I keep saying, I know it's not very romantic, but a wedding is a business situation. It's a business deal you're doing with someone. You're putting yeah, it is. your hard-earned money into investing into this party and – why give money to people that you get weird vibes from, basically? Exactly. And like you said, for destination weddings, it's not possible generally to meet the vendors. But honestly, take the time to sit down and meet them. Don't be drawn in by a gorgeous website and don't be drawn in by gorgeous images on a gorgeous oh, yeah. website because they yeah. could be anybody's. 
Um, you know, you hear some awful, awful stories about people taking other people's images and using them as their own. And it does happen and it happens far too regularly. So mm. that is my biggest piece of advice to people that are either getting married or are new to the industry. Take the time to sit down with these people and ask to see their portfolios because it's one thing putting a pretty image up on a website, but it's another actually having the physical image and ask that my, my biggest question was always, what's the story behind that image? Mm. And if they can't tell you the story behind the image, it probably wasn't theirs in the first place. You know, so you, for me, that's always the big question. And I don't know if you ever saw the movie uh, with Melanie Griffiths and uh, Sigourney Weaver. That was it. Um, Sigourney Weaver tries to take Melanie Griffiths' um, uh, ideas as her own. And when she's turned, when they, uh, the person turns around to her and says, so, well, explain what the, the theory is behind this. She couldn't. She absolutely couldn't because she didn't understand the concept. She just liked what the concept was. Mm. So I've always remembered that. And I tend to use my, you know, use this within business myself. So always ask them to tell you the story behind the image. And if they can tell you the good story and it sounds realistic, then they probably have actually done something within that event. It sounds like I'm being very negative, but the problem is, is no. in this industry, there's no rules and regulations. Anybody can start up shop in the wedding industry. Anybody can become a photographer. Anybody can become a planner. And that's not necessarily a good thing because it means that anybody will become um, a wedding professional, so, so-called wedding professional. So you really do have to do your homework. Not only is there massive amounts of choice but also within that, there's a lot of people that probably won't be here this time next year. So you do have to be very, very careful. And it's your wedding. So make sure you ask the questions you have every right to. Oh, yes, you do. And I'm really glad you brought that up. And I don't think you're being negative. I think you're being a realist. And I think bride chiller people listening are realists and they want to know the ins and outs and not feel like they're being taken for a ride because it's really hard to, especially I think going back to this bridezilla thing, that half of the bullshit behind that that cliche is people letting go of some control and handing over their their you know the Pinterest board and saying this is my goal and this is what we'd really like to achieve and it's very hard to trust people especially uh well some people in full stop uh but but to trust people to go oh will you do this so I think you're right if people get offended by asking for testimonials or asking to see other images or as you said tell the story and they can't do it then they're probably not people you should be doing business with or at least they're maybe working up to being better better doing what they're doing and maybe they should plan someone else's wedding not yours yeah exactly and you know you really do have to do your homework it's that simple and that is one of the reasons why planners can be so good because all you're doing is your homework with one person you're doing your homework on planners rather than having to do your homework on caterers photographers, florists, cake makers, etc, etc, etc. The beauty of a planner is they've already done that. They've already vetted everybody for you. And generally speaking, any wedding planner worth their salt has what I always used to call my dream team. You know, those mm -hmm. people that you've worked with, you know, for hundreds of weddings throughout the years. And you almost don't need to tell each other what you're doing because it's second nature. You gel so well. And the whole point of a wedding planner specializing in a particular niche area 
is that they will then have vendors and suppliers that also specialize in that area and everything becomes cohesive, everything becomes easy and everything works the way it should work and the planner will take over all of those aggravations and worries because they know these people, they've worked with them time and time and time again it becomes like a well-oiled machine. So that's one of the major benefits of having a wedding planner. Now you still have to do your homework with the planner, obviously, but there's a lot less planners around than what there are photographers and florists and other wedding vendors. So it is a little bit easier to be able to do your homework. And one of the easiest people to ask about wedding planners are venues, because most mm. venues will have worked with planners in their area many, many times, and they will have had experience of them. So they can give you an honest answer as to whether or not they are a reputable, reputable, God, can't say the word, reputable planner. Mm. Yeah, I, I always say as well with like people finding makeup artists my big thing. I, I come from a, a, a comedy and TV background, and I always said, you know, photographers can tell you pretty quickly if a makeup artist is good or shit at the job, you know, because they've worked yeah. with them and they know, you know. So I think, yeah, talk, use your contacts. But I, I couldn't agree more. Your wedding plan is your black book of who's good, who's not, who's worth working with. So. Oh, so much to learn. So much to I know. learn. Oh, and generally speaking with a wedding planner, although the initial outlay might make you think, <laughs> I don't want to do this. The point of the wedding planner is they usually get their vendors for a better price than you would. So the fee often ends up being covered by the discount that the vendors give you anyway. Yeah, and it's also I just think we have to sometimes balance the idea that someone's going to go off and do a bunch of work that you would be doing without any real experience and maybe feeling your way through and I'm the biggest advocate because we didn't have a wedding planner and I would happily go back in time until uh, 2012 Alicia to just buck up and spend a couple of grand and get someone else to do all the little shitty jobs that I ended up doing and I say shitty jobs because I was literally driving and picking up crockery the day before our wedding yeah and, and how going, many times have I heard that? <laughs> oh, and, and yes, we were very lucky that we had an amazing catering company who literally just picked up all the bits and pieces that I didn't, we, I say Rich, my husband, did a bunch of work as well, but they were pretty on it. And But if we didn't have them, it could have been really a pretty stressful day. And also, I come from an, an MC background and I've watched so many weddings and been at weddings and, and hosted weddings and events where things haven't been working too well and haven't had someone in charge and I've had to step in and sort of yes. guide things and think, gee whiz, if the couple or the people that were running this had any idea of the shit that was going on backstage and the people that were having to string this stuff back together, you would be horrified. So I do think people underestimate how ninja skillful planners and event managers are at just covering stuff up and making sure no one notices oh absolutely that's the skill involved i mean it really isn't like j-lo in the wedding planner they don't run off with the groom they don't fall in love oh, and live happily not. ever after like that it's not glamorous <laughs> they're not running around with the headset on either it really <laughs> isn't like that it's exhausting mm. you know you are on your feet from go to woe you have to be really physically fit um, you're not drinking champagne along with the guests. You're running around the entire time. Um, and as you say, you're doing all the little shit jobs that nobody else wants to do. But at the end of the day, you know, the whole point is the bridal couple want to be able to enjoy their day. Um, mm. And you can't do that if you're doing exactly what you described, picking up crockery and cutlery the day before. You're already stressed oh before it's ever begun. But I think the biggest thing I always say is, would you sit down um, and 
do your own accounts? If it was a big company, would you sit down and do all the accounts without ever having had any accountancy experience? No, you hand them over to your accountant to do that. Well, a wedding is exactly the same. It's just a different thing. You know, it's, it's an event. How can you be expected to plan an event of that magnitude when you've had no experience? I do think if you are in the situation where you do go, that noise that Kylie made when you look at some some wedding planners' fees, and you go, <laughs> uh, and, and look, we are very uh, aware that not everyone has, we all have different budgets, different of expectations, course. different size events, but there are plenty of day of coordinators that have amazing skills that can come in and at least tie everything together and make sure you've got a good schedule and make sure that you haven't forgotten things so there is stuff for everyone's budget totally oh there always is you know the day of coordinators I think do a sterling job because they actually have it harder they're picking up all of the pieces of something Mm. they didn't put together and making it work um but they're priced very realistically so they're certainly affordable and it just takes the stress off and they usually come in around six weeks prior to the wedding so that they know what's going on. And that can be incredibly helpful. Mm. Um, and it will certainly take the pressure off on the day so that the couple can sit back and relax. Kylie, this has been so delightful. I'm a lay person and I always sort of say I learn every week with my uh, listeners and it's just great to speak to someone with that's got this experience and also candidness because I think a lot of the time the wedding industry is pretty up its own ass in a, a very Australian oh, way to say this. No, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. And it's, you know, you've got to be real. At the end of the day, my job is to educate newbies coming into the industry. And the last thing I want is to give them false hope. Um, I don't want to sell them a dream that's not realistic. If anything, we take it to the other extreme um, and shock them and make them realize how hard it really is. Even our Mm. courses. um, We've had this said to us before where people said, I thought it was going to be really easy. Um, And actually, it's not. You think, well, no, that's because it's not an easy job. It's bloody difficult. It's not glamorous. It's hard work. It's antisocial hours. You're working most weekends. Yes. So you have to love it. You have to have a passion for it. And you know, that's the thing. You can't, it, It's not a glamorous job. So you've got to be realistic and you've got to tell it as it is. And that's something that we do pride ourselves on. Well, okay. I'd like to encourage anyone that's very interested in learning about wedding planning who would maybe consider trying to to move into that area. Maybe you are a, a bride or a groom who perhaps wants to become a wedding planner. Kylie, where would they get in touch with you and how would they go about becoming one of your students? Um, the best place to go is to our global website which encompasses all of our regions, which is weddingacademyglobal.com. And from there, you can choose which region is right for you. And we're in Australia, New Zealand, the UK, the UAE, stroke GCC, North America, and Malaysia. Basically everywhere. Anywhere yeah, that you want to learn about weddings. Global domination. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, do you also do recommendations if people are looking for wedding planners? Do you help people find wedding planners? Yeah. Yeah, we do. Um, We actually work with a lot of people within the industry. We have a really great advisory board, which is now standing at about 35 experts from around the world. Um, So we have those to call on. Plus, we have all of our other relationships and partnerships within the industry. So we've got some great contacts and we are always willing to recommend our friends in the industry plus our students as well 
That's great because, as you said, it, it's a pretty go rogue industry, and I don't mean that in necessarily always a positive way. That if people are just like, yeah, I plan a couple of weddings, and you're like, mm, okay, I want to see some proof. I don't know why I had to yeah. pick a bogan Australian voice to do I that. Know. In. <laughs> That's too funny. I haven't heard that accent for a while. Oh my god! It's because I'm sitting in my day job. I'm sitting across from a lovely chap called Murray, and um, Murray is true blue Australian, and I. I I parrot it back to him because I think now I go home and they're like, oh, you've rounded your vowels. You sound a bit posh. And I'm like, oh, Jesus, I don't really. But Murray is like Western Sydney, bloody every time he gets on the phone, he's like, oh, g'day. And um, I love it. (laughs) And it makes me a little homesick. So something's coming to me this week where I'm coming home going, all right, mate, how's it going? That's too funny. Well, the only word I, well, not the only word, but one of the words I never hear anymore is the word ochre because nobody uses that word over here and ochre Aussie and nobody uses it over here so when I do use it I get the funniest of looks Um, (laughs) it doesn't mean I'm unique over here if I call somebody ochre (laughs) ochre's great ochre for anyone that doesn't know ochre's like well basically what I was just doing just off you know ochre talking like a real bogan talking like this it's probably too much but that's how it goes and someone, we were trying to explain to people at work the phrase, fucking oath. And I love that phrase. Fucking oath. And it's something I didn't realise that we're basically, and the New Zealanders are probably the only countries that use this phrase. And the Brits were quite confused and were sort of saying, <laughs> what? 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 What does it mean? And it really just means too right. That's right. Fucking oath. Yeah, fucking yeah. oath. And the other one is yeah, nah, which is a, a phrase of saying, yeah, yeah. but nah, nah. Yeah, I haven't it, heard that one for positive. a while either. It just, <laughs> having spent 10 years in Australia, yeah. there were certain sayings that just, I don't know, they became in ground into me. And yes. I love using them over here because people look at me with that look of, <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> and I quite enjoy that. So I like coming out with things like that. I enjoy it. Well, I, as crudely as I want to say, fucking earth, Kylie, it was great to spend this time with you. <laughs> Ditto. Absolutely. I've loved every minute of this one. I like an interview that we can just chat, which is what we've done. Oh, me too. Good. Me too. Well, next time I'm going to absolutely, if you are willing to come back, I would like to, uh, next time I'd like to talk to you about trends because I know you do a trend report and I'm yes, one of these do. people that... I think there's so much to learn from trends, so much to learn from things that go in and out, and I know uh, you've got a lot to say. So please, let's book it, put a put a date in the diary, oh, and let's do that. Talk again because I uh, I know you've got a lot to share. No, that sounds good. Absolutely. I mean, trend you know trends is a big subject, um, and it I never take them too literally. They're there Me for too. you to interpret. They're there for you to use as inspiration. They're not there for you to take literally. Um, which I shouldn't really say considering we produce the International Wedding Trend Report, but that is really what it's about, you know. And I do love my trends, but I never take them too seriously. They are what they are, and not every client is going to want to have an in-trend wedding, but it's there to give you inspiration. And as long as you take it in the right way, then trends are fantastic. Oh, well, look, I'm looking forward to talking with you more about that. And uh, we, we always finish the show, Kylie, by saying to everyone, happy days. Oh, how lovely. Happy days, absolutely. <laughs> the Bride Chiller Podcast. The only place a cookie cutter should be used is in the kitchen. Am I right? <laughs>